The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Storyblocks. It's the first and only subscription-based stock media company that offers unlimited downloads of member library content for a modest annual fee of just $149 per year per site while providing its contributing artists 100% of the sales revenue for their photographs, video, or audio. To find out more, visit storyblocks.com forward slash candid. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. We are at the end of another year and another season of The Candid Frame. I want to thank all of you who have listened and supported over these many years. It's been a, a great run, and we're looking forward to bringing you more great conversations in 2018. At the end of the year, we're sharing the second panel discussion that I conducted at this year's Miami Street Photography Festival. I sat down with Chris Suspect, Nikki Glaudy, and Forrest Walker, and we talked about what drives us to make the images that we do. As we enter a new year, I hope that this conversation helps inspire you to give your all to yourself and your photography. Welcome, everybody. Um, we're very excited to be here, Miami Street Photography Festival, especially having the opportunity to talk shop with so many talented photographers, and uh, especially when it comes to street photography. And one of the things that I wanted to start to talk about is, is the, the reason why you're drawn to this particular type of photography. Um, for me, personally, with all the variety of different photography genres that I could, I could come involved in, there's something that's really sort of magical uh, about street photography. And for me personally, it's the, this whole idea of being able to pull something beautiful, expressive from seeming chaos. And uh, I think it's probably one of the most challenging aspects of photography to, to, to practice. Considering you know, the challenges, the, the inevitable failures that you face doing this kind of work, what is it about the practice that appeals to you so strongly that it makes you return to it over and over again. So Chris, why don't we start with you? So um, the question about what is it about the practice that keeps me returning is primarily the challenge of trying to capture something exceptional or remarkable or beautiful out of chaos or of a, a, a candid moment. It's r really... A, difficult to do and to, to make something uh, meaningful that rises above what's depicted in the frame. And the only way to get better at that is constant uh, practice and also research into you know what has been done before in the street photography canon so you can expand or add something more to the vocabulary expand the conversation 
over what has been done in the past. And that to me is the challenge that keeps me going out every day and every night. And another aspect too as well that I really like to do and work that's maybe not necessarily on the street is to take what I've learned in street photography, you know, aesthetically um, and apply that kind of technique to situations that necessarily aren't always on the, on the street. Mm-hmm. And to kind of transfer that visual language into other, you know, genres or environments that are not necessarily street photography. Nikki? Um, hello, everybody. So to me, uh, street photography is, or this type of photography, I don't know if it's called street or beach or what, it's chaos theory uh, photography. First of all, uh, it's mostly, it mostly helps myself be aware of each second, and, which otherwise really would fly away unnoticed. It helps me be present. Me personally, that's why all these years I've been shooting and never showing my work really because it's just like a self-improvement, uh, self-meditation, self-living the moment thing. And it's really what uh, Chris just said, it's the magic of being able to, during all this chaos, when everything is moving around, the, draw, the dog is just going to jump in your uh, lens and the lady is going to lift her hand or whatever, to be able to kind of predict, kind of sense, kind of be aware of what's going on. And yes, there is the matter of luck too. And yes, of course, you need to fail thousands of times to perhaps get something kind of okay but that's a challenge because if I had just a still a still picture or just yeah I'll put the lights I'll set up the portrait you know but it's just not as challenging so it's this challenge that really uh keeps me um always up to my toes and um invites me to do this yeah of course yes um yeah I mean uh the challenge is one of the biggest things. There's many attractions I have to street photography, but a ch- the challenge is the biggest one because it's always changing. Um, every day there's something new to see. Uh, there's so many things happening around you, and you have to anticipate, sense. There's, there's so much that's involved in this. It's not, there's so much more than photography for me that's involved in it that I really enjoy. So uh, I, I love that uh, no matter the day, there's always something new that I might see. I don't know what it's going to be, and that, that's one thing I really like. You know, some days you don't see anything, and then other days you see multiple things. But uh, as long as you can see at least one thing a day that's interesting, then then it's been a good day for me. So even if I miss the shot, at least there's something there. Uh, It's really helped my uh, being able to observe things around you. You start to notice things even when you're not shooting that you probably wouldn't have noticed. And you're able to capture that, and you're able to capture something that no one would see unless you captured it. And I I really like that aspect, too. When I think about the, the challenge of it, um, unlike I think other genres of photography, that you can sort of fall back on sort of a technical expertise or technical experience in order to be able to create photographs like for still life or portraits. You're subject to sort of the randomness of the world as it reveals itself. But that in and of itself, while it's a challenge, I think the, the biggest challenge is sort of your own headspace, you know, getting out there to shoot in the first place, or when you're out there dealing with your own fear, your own anxiety, how do you sort of guys get past those, those obstacles, particularly the internal dialogue, to be able to get to a point in a place where you can recognize those fleeting moments and react to them in time to make a photograph? We can go back. I'll yeah. start here. Well, a lot of it just comes with 
just going out there and you just keep shooting. And uh, it never gets easy, but you do start to notice things you might not. Um, you're able to react quicker through many mistakes. If you're looking at your work, you're, you're, you might see something, but you missed it. And then the next time, you can be better about that because you recognize it quicker and you know what to do. You don't think as much, and it just happens uh, more naturally, I think. Like, uh, where you just you compose it and everything just happens by reaction more than thinking first, and then you miss the moment. So for me, it's just just going out there and shooting more and more and more is the, is the biggest way to, to notice these things and be able to capture them, too. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's also... <sighs> There's so many dialogues in my head. Uh, it could be, what am I doing here? I'm just wasting my time. It could be, oh, this is not working. It could be, oh, that, that red bathing suit with that red ball really works well together. I have to go closer. And at that moment, you know, it works or it doesn't work. So it, it's, it, it just never ends and it's always something different. And, and then, like uh, when, what Forrest said, when you look at your pictures, you always self-correct. I mean, I, I said I, I did this huge mistake. I never studied anybody. I never shared my work, really. So I'm, I'm illiterate, actually, uh, photographically speaking. But, but I think I did my own editing and I definitely I would gain so much more had I been more open about this earlier. Um, but you always autocorrect. You always look at your work and say, oh, you know, that, that, that corner, oh, had I not cropped this, or oh, you know, I should have had the whole face in the picture and not half. So you, you always learn by your own mistakes and definitely by reading other people. And that, I believe, really is self-improvement. And, um, and the fear, just just get out of your comfort zone and just push yourself to go there and talk to the people and get involved and be part of it or an, an invisible observer or something because otherwise you're not going to get the shot. So it sounds to me like I think this is a two-part answer for me. So the, the first part is you mentioned, uh, you know, your headspace as being the biggest challenge. And I think there's, there's two aspects of that. You know, one is just the actual act of photographing. And like, you know, when you're starting out, the, the first fear is a fear of people. What are other people going to think of me? And that's really kind of the first hurdle to get over. And, um, you know, you always hear this try to be invisible kind of thing. And, and I sort of disagree with that because you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> you're taking the photo and you got to, I think, you know, internal, psychologically, you got to look at this like, you know, this is my job. This is what I do. And, and I have these intentions that I want to accomplish. So if you, I think if you, once you embrace that that's who you are and that's what you need to do, it becomes a lot easier. And then also when you get in situations when let's say someone objects or someone notices you, I found the, the, the best way to allay any kind of fear or suspicion or diffuse a situation is just be honest and tell that person what it is that you're doing. And half the time, they'll think you're crazy, especially if you're saying, you know, I, I used you in this corner of the frame because I was trying to juxtapose this over here. And when you get into that language, they're just like, okay, we don't want to talk to this guy anymore. We, we, we want to move on. But at least you're being honest. And, they, and then they get a sense from you that you're not necessarily trying to exploit them or, or what have you, you know, as long as your intentions are, are pure and good and what you're doing. It's a really good way to diffuse the situation. So, so that's the first thing about getting your headspace, 
I think, right is that you have to embrace what you're doing and not be afraid to let people know what you're doing because that'll diffuse any situation. Now, the second part of, of this is how do you keep going or mentally, I guess, prepare to make these kinds of photos? And I mentioned this earlier. It's like it's, it, you want to do a lot of, I guess, historical research and see what other artists have done. So there's a great quote by a chemist slash microbiologist, Louis Pasteur, who said, chance favors the prepared mind. And he was thinking in terms of science and making scientific discoveries. But it also holds very true for photography, because if you're quite aware of what has been done before you come across and see situations that are like, oh, this looks like it could be a, you know, a Kudelka kind of shot, or this looks like I have a potential for an Alex Webb, and you, you recognize that the, their scene is shaping up like that, and then you'll want to think to yourself, it's like, okay, what can I do to make this different and make it my own? But that takes a years and years, I think, of practice to be aware of what has been done and recognize those situations and how to bring your own style or flavor to that to make it your own. Nikki, you talked about, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, the whole idea of sort of embracing your failures, you know, looking at them, you know, being able to learn from them, and not so much um, beating yourself up for failing. That, that, that is fodder from which you sort of build your, your strength. Uh, but t talk to me about how you guys, you know, sort of evaluate your images well after, that you've, after you've made them. You know, because especially Reforest, you make you make so many images, and and being able to look at them, not just uh, aesthetically, but in terms of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to express in them. How do you sort of contend with the with the images that sort of fall short, and or, or actually, how do you sort of process through all those images? How do how do you, do you spend uh, a lot of time going through the images? Do you have a big gap of time between the moment of creation to the moment of actually culling and editing? Okay. Uh, well, well. First off, when I when I look at a photo, that it's separate. If it, if if I'm critiquing the photo and then thinking about the project too within the project, it's de definitely different. Um, it might be a, a really good photo, but if it doesn't work in the project, it does doesn't work. For me, uh, I'm pretty much taking pictures every day and a lot of pictures. So I've kind of I, I don't want to come back a year later and have you know thousands and thousands of pictures to go through. So I, I, put, I put them through and I'll look at them real quick and just pick the ones that are maybes without really thinking about it. And then I usually let that sit for a while. Most of the photos I share are, are like almost a year old. So uh, mm. yeah, during the project, except for yesterday, I, sh I showed more recent ones. But, um, but yeah, I want them to sit there for a while because they just happened and uh, it's too fresh in my head and I want to kind of disconnect and then then critique. Um, so that, that's how I do it personally. Um, and then at the end, I just go through the ones that I thought were maybes. Maybe in the future when I do the book, I'll, I'll go through all the others too. I don't know, because you never know. Maybe I missed a few in there, or, or my, I found ones that work better for how the project is now, is that it's evolved. But that, that'll come then. But that, that's usually how I, I do it. And as far as uh, separating, I, I, I look at the photos that I like, and then as the project evolves, I go back and I see if there's any that, of those ones that I like that would work in the project. How about you, Chris? In terms of uh, editing my own work and failures, yeah, I do pretty much exactly what Forrest does. I'll try to, you know, like, so for example, I'm here in Miami this week and I'm shooting quite a bit, but I probably won't look at anything until I return back home. And then I'll go through and select, uh, these are maybes, 
and then look at them like a month later or, or so. And uh, it depends on, uh, on the, you know, Forrest talked about his, his, his project. I'm, I work on multiple projects at a time. And I just, you know, put these all into a big bin. And then when I'm ready to kind of edit or, or sequence, I'll see what, what kind of works together and what doesn't. And oftentimes there's a lot of photos where you think that are like a, I guess you would call them a B or, you know, that actually can kind of provide context or add more value than it by itself when it's in a sequence or when you're when you're sequencing. So I'm always looking for kind of like these passing photos that you can use as transitions or go to support an environment or a detail or something specific that speaks larger to the to the project as a whole because it's in context of that project than it would if it was like a, a single image. So I'm kind of keeping those two things in mind when I'm editing and reviewing my, uh, my, my images. Nikki? See, had, I, had we talking about this earlier, had I been more open and studious, I would have known. So when I was shooting film, I had this waiting time uh, mandatory, you know, I couldn't have it at that spot. So now I come home from the beach, eager, or now I'm doing my beach stories, so I'm shooting on the beach mostly, or wherever I am, um, eager to see what I did. And I mean, that was uh, a couple of years ago, and I was eager to see. So I would open, and maybe, you know, I've been shooting for one hour or for nine hours straight, so that's a lot of pictures. And I was just so emotionally involved that, oh my gosh, I, you know, I was, I I was soaking wet and it was windy and I was freezing and I got these 20 shots. I have to have one good one. I was emotionally involved. Or this this woman was so nice, so sweet, whatever. I have to, you know, pick one. But if it's a no, it's a no. So so what you guys are talking about, I learned the hard way. So, so I decided to wait a little bit before seeing. And then it's a lot faster. You just get a little bit emotionally detached and and it's easier but it is a hard work and I've seen that because I'm not working on one project like um I mean, I do some on the side, but my main now is the beaches. Um, so I tried to keyword and, oh, yeah, maybe that would go there. Oh, maybe night photography. Oh, maybe this. Oh, maybe red color, whatever. I'm kind of working on multi-levels, despite the, the beach where I'm mostly concentrating. So that, that just takes a lot of time. And I see that, you know, I might be shooting for one hour. It might, might be three hours on the computer then without even Photoshopping, of course, anything. Maybe just a minor dodging or burning, and that's it. So, I find that um, so many people whose work I really love sort of blend or sort of uh, move fluidly through street photography and what's considered documentary photography. And I think it's just, it's, to, to my thinking, what all it is is people sort of applying the techniques, the approaches of street photography, and doing it with a more sort of focus intent. You know, by focusing on a particular subject matter or a theme or an idea. And that plays a role in all of your work. But I'm wondering how, why do you think that is so important? Not, not only with respect to why you're doing that particular project, but what do you think that it brings to you in terms of your ability to make successful photographs in whatever way you choose to define that. How does the focus sort of help you refine the way that you see and shoot? Chris? 
So just to make sure I'm understanding this question, are you talking about in terms of projects? Yeah, when you choose a project, you know, um, you know, all of a sudden you're not really just walking out in the street and sort of embracing whatever randomness is sure. out there. You're looking at a particular subject matter, a particular group of people, and you're saying, okay, I want to follow these people. I want to follow this community and make photographs. So how does that sort of how does that sort of uh, help you sort of evolve as a photographer in terms of how you see and how you shoot, knowing that you're singularly focused? So, I, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess there's, it's, I, I think that wholly entirely depends on the t kind of project that you are working on. For example, I've worked on this uh, long-term project on gay African-Americans and their relationships with faith. And this is one where purely documentary in intent, but you know, influenced by the aesthetics of street photography, you know, and trying to bring out, I guess, more subliminal or semiotic messaging through the through the through the frames. So, but in, in so in this case, you know, I need to go to these kind of exclusive private secret parties and then go to their, they have like a kind of an underground church in Washington, D.C. where they can worship freely. Um, so I know going into that environment for that project, you know, what, what I'm looking for. And that's not something I can just step out my front door and go to the street and go, hey, I'm going to go try to find this subject matter. You really have to kind of dig for that. But then there's other projects and I'm really, I have this affinity for uh, balloons and obscuring people's heads with balloons. I have this whole balloon head project, which is kind of fun. And that's something you just can't go, I'm going to go out and, and photograph, you know, the obstruction of people's heads with balloons today. That's something that is just photos I've collected over many years just when that opportunity is there. I mean, I know I have a better chance of getting a photo like that if, I, let's say, I go to like a um, county fair or an agricultural fair kind of place, so that's always cognizant. But, you know, a lot of the times these things just happen in the street and you got to just keep that. I've got this conceptual project. It's not necessarily documentary in the back of my mind, and it's purely street photography based, then you just kind of have to be cognizant, even if you're working on something else that day or whatever, to, to take advantage of, of that opportunity. So that's, you know, how I uh, approach those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm not very experienced with this because this is my basic uh, concentration right now, so I haven't worked in many, but I'm thinking about it. But I would think that um, it's two things. One is you start a project with intent like Forrest did. So you, you go on for a title, you want to say something to the world, you want to show something, so you're out there and you start this project and you want to finish it. And the other is perhaps just out of chance, wherever you happen to be, and oh, I'm in many parties, I'll shoot parties, or oh, I see many balloons, I'll do balloons, so oh, I happen to be on the beach, I'll do the beach. So maybe, you know, it's also a matter of logistics, strictly speaking, like you know, wherever you happen to be and the, the time that you, you know, maybe dawn before your work, you go out for an hour, so then you end up always in the same light, so that might be something. Or, you know, you see your work afterwards and you see years of work and you decide that, hmm, I have many of that, so maybe I could continue a little bit more and work on it and fine-tune it. So I think probably that's the way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, there's a lot of crossover between street photography and documentary and most people that are in the street or in a documentary that I know at least um, and for me it, it needs 
if, if for a big project, you want a mix of both. Me personally, I, uh, like Chris said, uh, when I think of street, I think more of the aesthetic. But then a documentary, there's more of a story there. There's 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 more connection between the photos. I mean, if you, you can have a street project that's only about aesthetic, but if you want it to go further and say something or show something, you, you need to bring that documentary uh, focus in there too. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're always out there and I need to get this specific shot for this documentary. You can, you, if you're going to, to parties, it might, it might, it'll, most of it will probably come together over time and, and over what you're looking for naturally. But, uh, but for me, I, I want... I want both. I like both uh, because uh, documentary without, I like the aesthetic, aesthetics of street added to the, the documentary uh, focus. So if you combine both, I really like where that goes. And that, that for me, that's why I uh, kind of cross over into both now. I love making photographs and capturing audio clips and video footage, and so I have a great appreciation for those people who are able to create great images and footage of things I don't gravitate to as a creator. But there are times when I need the work of these people to complete a work project like a video or printed material for a client. As much as I would love to be able to create all that content for myself, sometimes it just makes sense to rely on another resource for still video illustrations or audio. Storyblocks is that perfect solution. Not only is it affordable, it also provides income for the content creators themselves, whether they are a photographer, videographer, or illustrator. That's because Storyblocks provides you access to high-resolution photo, vector, or audio, and they are all royalty-free. And for creators who contribute their work, it's also great because they enjoy 100% of the sales commission. To find out more, go to storyblocks.com forward slash candid to get all the stock images, video, and audio you can imagine for just $149. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash candid to download anything from thousands of images, video, and tracks, and unlock discounts for millions more. What, what pulled each of you into wanting to do more narrative stuff? Was, did it come from a point of frustration that you were only able to express yourselves to a certain extent with street and that somehow you wanted to do more? Talk to me about that moment when you were feeling like pulled to create images of this type. Well, I don't know about that moment, but for me it's... Uh you keep shooting street, but then you want to do, you want to do more with it. It comes to a time where it's not enough just to go out there and just shoot and see what you get. You want to you want to have a, a make something out of what you're shooting. So for me, that that's where I went. I wanted uh, something more. So uh, I mean, the next step is kind of I don't I don't want to say above, but it's another step is documentary or another route to go, but without losing where you came from with the street. For me. Uh, to me, it's. Um, I was thinking also your previous question because I thought maybe there's a third part because, it, like every artist, uh, whoever creates something, it's their own personal soul that comes out. So that's that. That's on its own a, a theme. It's it's my signature. It's his name. You know, it's it's how you conceive things, how you perceive things, and how you actually. If I have a camera and you have a camera, we're gonna 
the same subject is going to come out completely different. So it's the soul, it's your creation, and that's also to my two points earlier, like a third point I wanted to add. So to what you asked now, I'm on the beach and I'm not shooting something in particular. I don't think so. I'm just going with a flow. I just see things and I interpret them in my eyes, in my world. And I think it's mostly... I hope I have created a style. I don't even know. I mean, you guys are going to judge. But it's just my my perception, period. I don't have a documentary right now, so it's it's beach photography. Street photography, beach photography. But to me, it's general. I'm on the beach, and whatever I see, I click. But it, it depends. What will draw my attention will not draw your attention or his attention. It, we all have different things that speak to us either because they're completely different, either because we relate to them. So I, if I understand this correctly, it's more about what, what, what's progressed us beyond the single image, right? Right. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, like a clock is right twice a day. I think anybody over enough time can also create a good photo, you know, every now and then. I think it is much more challenging. Once you, once you get to the point where you know you can kind of, you know, cr- get make some sense out of chaos and create a decent photo. You know, the next challenge to keep you going is like, how do I, now that I know what I'm doing with the camera, how can I put all these photos together to maybe, you know, express something, whether it be a story of a docu- documentary nature or let's say something can, conceptual. It's, and then it, then it becomes more, it, it's more challenging it's the next step on like how to pair photographs, how to make them work together. Um, so that to me is what drives me to, you know, work on different projects or what have or, or what have you, and focus on a, on a bigger challenge of like you know how can I say something um, that's uh, political or you know something that is a statement about society or something that's personal that means something to me that's, you know, fun or emotional or, you know, any, any anything. So I, it's just, it's, it's to me, it's just the evolution, the next, uh, the next step. And I think if you look at most great photographers, you'll see they have also made that transition. You know, they've learned how to take a good photo, but now that's like, now like they're putting together books with themes or projects. And, and I think it's just the next evolution in your, in your growth as an artist. I think it's also, it's, it's, more rewarding too, uh, and not talking about documentary, but just to have a body of work that works together, and you have a project, and it, it's a little more rewarding than just having one single image. One single image feels good, but that kind of dissipates. But having a project you can go back to, it, it feels bigger in, in a way because it, it shows the, uh, a lot of work behind it, more than one single image, similar to what he said. You know, what's interesting about all your all your your projects um, is is the level of intimacy that exists in those images. Intimacy. You know, the, 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 it's part, part, part and parcel of the proximity of the photography to the subject, that the, the camera is actually closer. That's part of it. But there's also something else at work, because just simply getting closer doesn't translate into intimate images, right? So it's, it's reflective in all your work, but can you explain why that exists in each of your respective images in your, in your projects. Do you have an understanding of what you or yourself are bringing to the table that allows you to elicit that from your photographs? I'll, I'll try to start. <laughs> start 
I mean, I don't really think about it too much, but I think I, it, a lot of it comes, uh, I enjoy what I'm doing out there. I, it's not just about taking a picture. I like, I like feeling different places and, and the mood and the atmosphere and the connection with the people without actually, con like from a candid perspective, you still feel what you're shooting. So um, I enjoy it. It might come from the enjoyment of getting close and getting in there and experiencing new places, new, new, new cultures, new, new uh, moments, I mean, to me. So it's, 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 it's one of the, my biggest attractions to street is that getting close and, and getting there where if you didn't have a camera, you, you wouldn't have that connection. But with the camera, you can, you can do that. So that's my attempt at answering. <laughs> so it, it's, I did a, a project a while back on... Um, uh, like punk rock and hardcore kids in squats and houses in Washington, D.C. And that project was really me revisiting my youth when I grew up going to these kinds of shows in the, in the mid-80s um, in Washington, D.C. You know, I was like 14, and when I was at these shows, there was this like just sense of chaos. It was like a hurricane. You, know, you had fear, excitement all this kind of chaos. And so when I went back to go document that scene, my intention was to see, can I capture this whirlwind and chaos in a way where I felt, when I was 16, what it felt like to me and convey that to the viewer. And so, for that to actually, and kind of make it feel like a recollected memory. And for me, the only way to really do that is to, is to get entirely up close, personal, and absorbed into the energy of what's happening. And to bring that sense of chaos and excitement as much as you can to the, to the frame. So for me, it was a very intentional, so you know, here I was, like 40 something like in these mosh pits with like 17 year olds or what have you but it was very important for me to get that energy because like that's where I was when I was 14 16 17 years old right and it's like I don't know you can't convey that close quarters high action energy if you're standing in the back of the room I mean you really have to be be part of it and um, a lot of the like when I shot the uh, the Trump inauguration riots in DC you know I just got in on the, the front lines because I don't know how else can you convey that power and that energy in that situation from a distance you really got to be I mean for me to convey what I want to express I also have to be in the thick of it you know getting hit with flashbang grenades or rubber bullets or what have you it's um you know, if you want those shots, you you know, I, I always think back to uh, um, the, uh, the 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 the, uh, the 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 shots of um, Joseph Kadelka in Prague, and you know, he just must have had the biggest cojones ever to get on top of tanks and do you know, and that to me was like that was very seeing that work was very inspirational because it was like you know this guy did not cower or stand back, he got up right in people's faces and just captured. That, that energy and probably a great risk to himself. But to me, it was extremely successful and that was a, a big influence. And that's why I uh, you know, have that sense about a lot of the work that I do. Um, yeah, so I think uh, it could either work the dynamic of the frame, like uh, you have people connecting 
uh, and you're a little bit further away and it's a nice frame and everybody's doing something and they're at the right place at the right time with the right light, et cetera, and it works. Or then you're close and you see the intimacy and you can see, you can feel the relationship of the people in the photo. You can see the couple, you can see their expressions, their wrinkles. You can read them more in their emotions so that that to me is intimacy and uh, it's it's I mean the best if you can combine everything uh, plus the dynamic and but um, but I think it's very important because photographing is very personal and it sometimes reflect your own feelings and you can you can actually um, go deep in the soul of the people and to me that's that's a big success if somebody can manage to uh, show it to the viewer you know, yesterday was kind of interesting because I heard Donato and we heard Richard speak. And Donato is really big on building relationships, ongoing relationships with many the people that he photographs. And I think Richard made the point that he rarely talks to people that he sort of photographs. And it's sort of an interesting uh, uh, um, range of, of, of how people interact with the people that they, they, they photograph. And I'm wondering what it's like for, for you guys where you sort of fall, you know, uh, in, in, uh, in those you know, from Richard's non-engagement to Donato's intimate engagement with his subjects in, in the real world outside of the photographs. So I'm happy to start with this. I, there's actually, you know, I uh, understand where Donato is coming from completely because in some of my, let's say, documentary projects, it's actually important to connect with your subjects, especially if you're going to pursue them or document, cover them over time. So you need to develop that relationship. Um, however, if I am just out on the street doing you know, pure street photography, I'm looking at more capturing scenes than street portraits, which is what a lot of Donato has. And that's, um, so for me, I'm not really looking to forge a personal connection or any kind of connection. I'm looking more about capturing the environment and the context and what places that person in the environment and the juxtapositions than doing, uh, than doing, doing a, a street portrait. So, so when I'm on the street just going out, I'm, you know, the, the less time I spend talking with someone, the more opportunity I have to focus on shooting something else because honestly, I'm more concerned about making a good picture than I am concerned about someone's life at that, at that time or their personal experience. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to capture their soul or their portrait. I'm trying to capture a, an interesting frame. Um, but on the documentary side or a project side then, I think it's important because then you get insights and into people's emotions or psychology that help you to frame images in ways that I guess bring out you know more of the uh, the, the the emotion or what you're or the message you're trying to get across because you are both sharing the same or you have an understanding of the other person's psychological headspace so it's it's twofold for me Nikki? I agree with Chris. Um, I mean, in a documentary, of course, you have to go deep and you have to have the connection and you need it and they need it. Uh, to me, every day is really different. Uh, like uh, one day I was walking here on South Beach and Ocean Drive, I saw a lady. Uh, I didn't know what she was doing, but she was kind of shouting and lying on the floor and her legs were kind of moving like spasm. So, you know, I kind of approached her um, then I realized that she was having some sort of crisis with her 
uh, health. Her boyfriend came. I realized they were homeless. I, I had some Advil. I gave them. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I don't go to jail now, you know, or a suit or something because it's the United States. Um, yeah, so, you, you know, then we started talking. It became more personal. I shot, you know, a few more posed or less, uh, more street photography. So it could happen this way, and then you can develop a relation. Uh, I've never became best friends with anybody I shot, but sometimes you go deeper and they tell you their story. And sometimes it's like what Chris says, you know, it's a moment, you shoot, it's gone. You can't be best friends with everybody. But it, it could happen. And, and sometimes when they share the story, why they're crying at that moment or what happened or what's their relationship, then it, it could become more interesting and I understand more. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, personally, I, I like both approaches. They're, they're very different in both in what they look like and, and the experience of it. Um, I, I like when you when you have a documentary where you connect with the individuals, that, uh, that's great. Um, I've done some of that, but this project right now, for a few reasons, I, I really can't do that. And one of them was kind of sad, is if I was uh, connecting with all the people, then I wouldn't be taking this close to as many pictures, especially with traveling all the time. I mean, uh, and I'm, I, li- I like meeting new people and, and connecting, but, but I, if I did that, then they would want to hang out afterwards maybe, show me their, you know, I mean, it would be a great experience, but half the day I wouldn't be shooting sometimes, you know. And so for me, I want to go in and get the photo and then go find another photo and, and try to g- bring back as much of that place as I can. And so... And also, I want uh, the project to be somewhat of a, where I'm not really affecting the photo, other than I choose what I want to capture. But, but I don't want, I want it to be what a, a viewer would see if, if they saw it, without my changing it of it in any way. Mickey? Uh, also, when somebody gives you something, you owe him back. So uh, it's the way the universe works. So many times when we have this conversation, we go a little bit deeper. Uh, I sent the print back or, you know, I'm carrying this print whenever I photograph at that area because I know where she hangs out or lives. uh, And I want to give her her print. And uh, also some people ask for it and I always give them an email. They send an email. They said, give me a month. And then I emailed them their photos because many people want to see it. And, you know, they give me the picture and I want to give them at least a print or an electronic print. One of the things about um, street photography is the idea of returning to places, spaces, over and over again. And, um, and for me, that's always been part of the, uh, the excitement and the challenge of it about can I rediscover a very familiar place in a new way with my eyes? And each of you have returned to spaces, uh, and sometimes you've just had the opportunity to spend extended periods of time. But talk to me about the familiarity of, of places and being able to, and how do, you, how do you sort of get yourself to rediscover uh, a place, especially one that's very familiar to you, and see them with a the new set of eyes? So one of, one of the, uh, I've, I've taught a couple workshops over the past couple years, and one of the, um, I, I guess, typical like assignments for someone who's getting new to, used to street photography is like, a lot of people like to walk around, but you say, sit yourself on this corner for several hours and observe like the foot traffic patterns or what kinds of things go on so you can, can become familiar with the space. So 
a lot of the times I like to return to a space because I am familiar. I know like the X2 bus comes every 15 minutes. The subway or the metro gets out every eight minutes. At this time of the year, the sun sets in this way that it casts a long shadow here. In the summer, the whole street's lit up gold at seven o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon in this particular light. So returning to uh, a place that you're familiar with, I think is really uh, a, a good thing to do and, and and the more I guess you go go back to a space I guess the more you become familiar with those little idiosyncrasies or patterns that can happen in that space and you can try to like oh, okay if only X Y and Z happened this could be better so you're kind of drawn back to get that successful image that you I guess mentally have prepared for but is not presented itself in in reality um, I do find that you can uh, there are some spots that I've been to where I think I have milked them entirely and you start repeating yourself and I think when you start repeating yourself and what, and what has worked, you know, it's really kind of time to move on and find another, another spot. But I think, you know, it's good to return to a space, especially one that kind of can capture your imagination, you can see potential, but it's, the potential doesn't always happen, but it's good to kind of go back and it's, it's good for your, um, hey, it's good for learning, it's good for training your, your eye. Um, so that's the reason why I like to return to some spaces. In Washington, D.C., I have a favorite corner. It's uh, 7th and H Street in this area called Gallery Place slash Chinatown. And that's where I mentioned like the trains and the buses. I know what times they come. I know where the light's setting. But there's so many people and there's so many just kinds of things that it's like the mini Times Square in Washington, D.C. And it's a, a, a great spot to go back time and time again. And, and I've never thought of making a series out of it until like recently I started looking back at all my D.C. street photos from just that one area. And I think like historically over time, that's a project in of, in of itself because you're kind of, you know, documenting not, not just the people there, but just the background. And it's sort of, you can see the gentrification happening and the shifts and the kinds of you know, demographics that are in that area, so, yeah. Yeah, um, I agree with what Chris said. Uh, to to bring another aspect that I like about coming back to places is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, over, at least over time, you can, uh, you can see changes happening in the same place, even though you're familiar with it over time, especially if you go back and look at the photos over time, you see changes, and I th for me, that's one of the, the biggest powers of photography is being able to capture that. Uh, the changes that you couldn't go back and see. So, like, uh, so I've been returning to Havana every year for the last few years, and it's changing more quickly than other places. So I can actually notice it between a year of going there. So if if you're able to keep going back to the same place, or say you grew up in New York, a lot of people, and then you you have a like Richard Sandler, he's he was able to show changes in New York too, and that that's an amazing power of photography. So I really enjoy that. Going back to the same places and seeing how that same place changes in scenery and in everything, in every aspect. Yeah, I, I agree with both Chris and Forrest. Um, also, it uh, you, I guess you just go deeper and uh, you don't have the hassle of the logistics. You know, oh, where is the restroom? Oh, where to get some water? I mean, know everything, a sandwich, whatever. You know the area. Also, perhaps it, it um, helps, uh, enhances your style in a way because if you have a project, uh, the location is very important. So this pattern of location could also perhaps be um, one extra check mark that helps to the, the same kind of 
at least surrounding. Uh, but I guess you just go deeper. And I think it's a very good exercise for everybody to do this because it helps you realize that it's not the location. You don't want a postcard. Uh, you don't want the Eiffel Tower. You want the people around there. And you want you know the garbage can that's going to be standing there or whatever else that would go unnoticed otherwise. So it's a good um, practice to just try to find something out of nothing. Thank you for that. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? And we'll start with you, Forrest. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Uh, there's so many. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of one. I'll talk you about, go, yeah, you go. yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just talk about somebody everybody knows just because I don't know many people. Um, but uh, I just really, I love many photographers' works that, that I've seen recently and I, I uh, you know, really like when somebody has their own style. Among many, I admire Alex Webb's work. Uh, I like the poetic dimension of everything, and uh, everything is very romantic, poetic. I mean, there are another five or ten names that just pop into my mind at the same level, of course, but um, but I'll just talk about him, because uh, I, I think that he's worldwide respected, and everybody agrees with that, and, you know, the colors that pop out, the, the expressions, the people, everything is in the right place. So, you know, I, I just, whenever I look at them, I... Yeah. Dazzled, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I was trying to think of somebody that maybe people haven't heard of, but uh, but um, for me, uh, it was mentioned uh, last night actually in your podcast. But Pink Hassoff is is amazing. Harry Greer, if you like color, these people are, are amazing how they they handle color. Um, uh, and then Alex Webb, those are three. Emanos too. He's always been someone that I've looked mm. up to with color in terms of. Capturing color. So the, those four, I'll give you those four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I, uh, I like to, I don't just live in the world of street photography. I like to explore other photographers and other genres. You know, I have a lot of favorites, but one that I've known about for a while but didn't really understand a lot about it, so I wanted to explore more, is Francesca Woodman. Do you know her? No, okay. So she was a woman in New York who basically did self-portraits and wound up uh, committing suicide at a very young oh, age. Oh, I do know her. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so I was just curious as to, you know, how does this young woman who just had a very short career has really influenced the art world with her, with her work? And especially a lot of people said, you know, she was... Uh, you know, not, 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 she never reached her full potential because she took her life early. So, I did, you know, I read this whole um, book, I think it was published by, by Faden, about, about her and a bunch of artists' art critiques. And I just found it really interesting to find out how informed she was by other photographers during her time, even though it's not really apparent in her work, yeah. um, but also influenced by sculpture and painting. And to me, you know, I thought it was really quite remarkable once I was able to understand, you know, through the eyes of the critics, yeah. what she was trying to express. 
And, you know, some of those themes that I read about from other artists that are outside of photography or, you know, I, I often try to incorporate into my own work. So I was really kind of liked that story. So that's just someone uh, recently that I've, you know, heard a lot about but finally jumped in and delved to, to discover yeah. a little little bit more about. So, you know, it's something, that, you know, not... Maybe not, you know I recommend checking out her work and and looking at it, but I mean even more so I recommend stepping maybe out of your comfort zone and trying to understand artists that have some appeal, but you don't quite get yourself, and I find that a challenge. But it's once you work your way through it and then can learn to appreciate why they've attained that certain level of notoriety or respect, I think is really illuminating and eye-opening. It only helps you develop more. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you guys. That was wonderful. Great. Thank you. Thanks to Chris, Nikki, and Forrest for sharing the stage with me. And of course, to the people behind the Miami Street Photography Festival. I hope to see you next year. You'll find links to each of the photographers on the panel, as well as information on the Miami Street Photography Festival in the show notes. And thank you for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes Store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations that we offer here on TCF. Thanks to JVGR from the U.S. for his five-star review. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution to Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame, or you'll find the link in the show notes and The Candid Frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on the Donate button on the Candid Frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Clarence Butts and Matt Nikkei for their recent contributions. I can't thank you enough for your support. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarionX. And this is IbarionX, and this is The Candid Frame.